Welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast, where you'll learn how to structure terms and use various creative financing strategies to create profitable deals for short and long-term wealth. Whether you're a buy and hold investor, wholesaler, or flipper, learning creative financing will help you do more deals and unlock profits that you may not even know existed. On the Creative Financing Podcast, we break down actual deals we and our guests are doing and simplify the methods and terms used to execute these strategies. Now, let's dive in and create some terms. Hello and welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gallegos, here with... Jeff Rappaport. And today's another special episode, guys. We have a... uh, This guy is... He blows me away. We've just kind of been chatting before the the podcast. His name's Dave Kenny. Um, Jeff, you reached out to Dave. Uh, Apparently, you... You probably consult with him a lot, I'm guessing, on some stuff. I, I haven't consulted, although I, I've i gone to a couple of his classes. Okay. Um, I've had him speak at a RIA event, and uh, I'm actually in a mastermind group with him. Okay. So uh, when he speaks, we all listen. So tell us a little bit about him, and then, uh, Dave, we're going to pass the mic over to you. So Dave is, uh, you're a broker, correct? I'm a broker. I've broker. been a broker since 1980. Okay. Wow. wow. Um, so you're a realtor, broker, investor, consultant, teacher, um, a little bit of everything. Actually, it's probably more than a little bit, a lot of it, a lot of it. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, what I want to do, Dave, I want to give you a chance to tell us a little bit about what you do and you know, where you're going with everything. And I, we've just talked for several minutes about we could have this thing go on for hours, so we'll we'll try to give you as much information, but not get so in depth that it'll be totally confusing. Sound okay. good? Yeah, absolutely. perfect. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you asked me, well, how did I get into real estate? Uh, actually, I graduated from BYU with a degree in microbiology and chemistry. Wow. <laughs> and what does that have to do with real estate? Absolutely nothing. But at the time, I wanted to be a doctor. Medical schools had a different idea. I couldn't get into medical school, so I had a one-year period gap between my undergraduate and getting into graduate school. And I had a friend that was a, a developer. He says, "Dave, go get your real estate license, and you can come sell houses for me." So I thought that would sound like a good idea. So I did. And then interest rates climbed to eighteen percent, and he went bankrupt. Ouch. And so, but that got my introduction into real estate. I've been in real estate ever since, and that was 1979. Wow. And so I went on to the University of Utah, got my MBA, and then I worked in corporate America out at Hercules for 15 years. Hmm. Okay. And then I decided corporate America wasn't for me, and I became full-time. So that's kind of my background, but obviously... So when did full-time occur? In 1998. Okay. Okay. But in, in 1980... Interest rates were 18%. Nobody went down to the local mortgage company and took out a loan. So I cut my teeth in real estate in the seller financing world. That's the only way we sold houses was creative financing, seller financing. And we learned a lot of techniques that have served me well throughout those years ever since. Well, and we're going to get into some of those, which is very exciting to me. So, so tell us real quick what you're investing in now, if you would. Sure. Uh, I have obviously rental properties, but now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to move out of those into <coughs> trusted notes. 
and uh, real estate notes. Okay. Uh, I'm also, but I still have rental properties. I'm getting into long-term 30-year contracts. Um, and I definitely do a lot of investing with uh, people who are, are struggling. So we do a lot of rescue programs. So somebody who maybe has a lease option and they've had it for three or four years, their lease option period is coming to an end. The, the landlord calls them and says, look, I want to sell this house. You either exercise your option or you're out. Uh -huh. They go down to the mortgage company, they can't qualify for a loan. Uh -huh. So if they are aware of my program, they can call me and we'll do a rescue. We will actually buy the house and then give them more time on a new seller financing contract. Interesting. Okay. So we do lease option rescues. We do a lot of other types of rescues for people who may be in a seller financing contract with a balloon. Okay. And sure enough, the balloon comes and they still can't qualify for a mortgage. Right. And so they can come to us and we will rescue them out of that program and get them an extension. So there's a number of different places that we invest in real estate. Okay, cool. Let's talk about, that. you said real estate trust deeds and notes that you're liking to invest in right now. What, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that may entail? Okay, well you have a number of people who have significant equity in real estate in the way of trust deeds, contract for deeds. They have money that they're earning income on and all of a sudden they want to access that cash. And so it's nice that they're getting a monthly payment, but one of the places where I've made some big money is to realize that most people prefer cash sure. over monthly payments. And so if, if they have a need, which many, many people will find out they have a need, to all of a sudden have I want the cash yeah. rather than the monthly payment, then they will come to my organization and we will buy out their equity. Now, so you're buying it, trust deeds and notes. We're trying trust deeds and note and contract for deeds. Yep. Anything that has a cash flow has value to it yep. and can be purchased. Well, and I, and I want to touch on this a little bit later because you're the only one that I know locally that's buying, selling notes and you know huge industry and if you understand it, can I mean, it's trading paper. And yes. Yeah, so. Well, you look at it and people say, well, that's kind of different. I said, no, it's not. The mortgage industry does that all the time. Right. I start out with a Wells Fargo loan, and then the next thing I know, some other mortgage company has the, the servicing contract. That's right. So they buy and sell it all the time. They do it in a big way. Yep. Fannie Mae takes all those mortgages and securitizes it and sells it as a stock. So they're not buying an individual mortgage, they're selling interest in the mortgage. Well, this idea is no different. It's just you're taking a valuable asset, which is cash flow, and you're purchasing it. Right. So Dave, uh, we, we've had two previous guests prior to you, so th that's it. You're our third guest so far, and it's interesting because one, you, you know very well, um, Jax Petty, who is a very much in favor of contract for deed. And then we had Jeff Braylio, another attorney and title guy, who's very much against contract for deed. Where, where do you stand on it? What do you use? How, what kind of strategies do you like using? Well, let's first start out by saying that the idea of selling property on a contract has been around forever. Right. So this is not a new idea. It's just different now in our world. Because in our generation, people, if they want to buy a house, they go get a mortgage, and so that's the norm. When my parents sold their home back in 1960, 
they sold it on a contract for deed. Mm -hmm. That was the norm yep. back then. <laughs> so this idea that contract sales is outside of the norm is just absolutely false. Right. Now I just met with the division of real estate with Jacks Petty, by the way, yep. and they were telling us about some of their concerns about contract for deed. But after an hour and a half of discussions with them, they're going, you know what, this is totally legitimate. This has a great service to the public for a large segment of the uh, problem. We have no problem with it. Nice. However, there are real estate brokers out there that are telling their agents they can't be involved in contract for deed or contract sales, which in my mind is a tragedy because there's a, a large number of our population that can't qualify for mortgages. Right. But that does mean not mean they're not worthy of having a home yeah, yeah. for their families. Yeah. And so there's a way to do it, and it serves a, a tremendous part of our population. So you have no problem using contract for Absolutely deed. Absolutely not. Do you also use like trustee to know it all, inclusive yes. trustee? Yes. Give me an idea of when you would use one as opposed to another. But I've, uh, the uniform real estate contract, which is Utah's version, by the way, it's approved by the state and on the real estate division's website, uniform real estate contract. So people say, well, we can't do that. No, you can. It's a legal document. That's where the seller retains title. And so when you're using seller financing and involving a private individual, they are not Bank of America. They have to mitigate the risk that they're taking yeah. in being a bank. And so a lease option, contract for deed, all-inclusive trustee is all about down payment. So if the buyer has a smaller down payment, it's a lease option. A larger down payment, 10 to 20%, it's a contract for deed. If they have over 20%, then it's an all-inclusive trust deed. And by the way, the Utah statutes actually allow a buyer who buys on a contract for deed, if they have a significant equity position, they need to be treated the same way as if they had bought it on an all-inclusive trust deed. Oh, really? Yes. I did not know that. When, do you know what that amount is? Like it's generally 25% equity position, right? Which, and that's assuming that they have a good attorney that knows how to do that. Otherwise, they, they're they going back to the default, which is what the contract says. Yeah. Interesting. So you, 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 the strategy you like to use is really based on how much money is coming to the absolutely, table. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. Okay. What do you think lease options? Up to 10%? Yes, up to 10%. Up to 10 Right. Which, in my opinion, well, in my experience here in Utah, and remember, we're, we're talking nationally as well, but and it differs in every different in every kind of market. But in my experience, you typically are getting three to five percent for a lease option down an option consideration. Uh, and if you can get up to ten, I mean, awesome. That's but, right. But That's I, right. But I would my expectation would be more like three to five. Contract for deed or all-inclusive is 10% plus. Um, yeah, the big difference on an all-inclusive is the amount of time it takes for the homeowner to get the property back in the case of a default. Right. So with an all-inclusive trust deed, you have to go through the foreclosure process. Right. Which is a minimum of four months, more likely six to seven months before you get control of the property yeah. again. Versus so I go right back to that same statement. The sellers in these contracts are not Bank of America. They don't necessarily have the staying power to be able to make the house payment on the, on the house right. until they get control of it again. 
So an awesome point, awesome point is that, so not only are these kind of tiered where, you know, depending on how much money you're getting, but it's really about how quickly you can get back possession of the property. Absolutely. Lease option is the eviction. Contract for deed may be the forfeiture process. Lease option, you give them a three-day notice. After that, you evict them. Right. Contract for deed, a 30-day notice. So that's only 27 days more yep. than a lease option. After the 30 days, then you evict them. All-inclusive trustee, four months. Yeah. Minimum. Before you can do yep. a trustee sale. Here in Utah, yeah. That's so, here in Utah. Yeah, so other, yeah. other states could be longer. Right. Uh, and some are shorter, but you would use different types of, uh, like Texas is 30 days foreclosure, I believe. Wow. Um, but fast. yeah, it's really fast. Uh, I think Georgia is 30 days as well. Okay. So, um, but yeah, that, a great point that it's not just about how much money you're getting, but how fast you can get back the property in case of default. Right. right. Okay, great. Um, can we ask him about the market? Like, oh, yeah. Why don't we do that? Uh, we've asked so, everyone so far. So all of our guests, we asked them about um, their opinion on the market right now and kind of what uh, they think and if, you know, whether or not we're going to have a crash or, or what. Absolutely not. Okay. Is my opinion. Okay. I'll tell you why. Number one, the market increases are demand-driven, not speculative-driven. In 19, uh, 2008, when the crash happened, mortgages were given out like candy. Right. And people were buying real estate solely on speculation. Right. And so it was ripe for a major crash. Okay. Right now it's demand driven. And so we see tons of people trying to get a home and the inventory is just not there. Yeah. The other major reason is construction costs are going up very, very quickly. Uh -huh. And so that drives prices up as well. So when you compare the cost of building a new home versus existing, the existing homes, that pressure of the fact that it costs so much more to build tri trickles down to the existing home market. And so you'll continue to see an increase in prices. Okay. But because it's so demand-driven, that's when prices are going to go up, especially along the Wasatch Fed. Now, I know this is a national group here, but people say, well, what about Salt Lake City? Is it going to continue to go up? And the answer is absolutely. Salt Lake City is growing like crazy. Right. And you look at our house prices compared to other major cities, we're not even close yet. Yeah. And so we'll say, well, yeah, but people can't afford those prices. That's right. And guess what those people have to do? Rent. Uh -huh. And that's why you're seeing rental properties come, being built like crazy in Salt Lake Valley. Right. Is because there is a large population that's going to be forced out of the housing market and into the rental market. That doesn't mean houses are going to go down in value. It means they're going to continue to go up in value. Great point. What do you, th and I, I agree with everything that you just said. My concern is, is that even the rentals that right now aren't really as affordable as, uh, you know, as people's wages right now. And if the rental rates continue to rise, where do those people go? What happens? Well, that's the challenge of, of the communities to yep. figure that out. So I sat down with Sandy City Mayor and I said, what are you doing to help with affordable housing? The answer, nothing. <laughs> I said, what about opening up the gates to allow people to have an apartment in their basement so that they can rent out their basement? Nope, we're solid on our, our accessory apartment laws. So the cities have really got to start stepping up to the plate yeah. 
and finding alternative ways to help people in the lower price range to have affordable housing. Yeah, and it's not even necessarily the lower price range. I mean, it's almost like the median. Uh, median price. prices are outrageous. It really is. It's kind of um, an interesting where it's all going to go because it can't keep going up unless wages start to keep pace. <laughs> it's, it sort of can. I guess it can. But <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I've been around a long time. When I started in real estate, I bought my first house for $60,000. Sure. And everybody thought that was outrageous. Prices can't continue to go up. That same house will sell for $325,000 today. Yep. People say, well, wages can't go up. Okay, I started my first job with a master's degree in business administration for $19,000 a year. So yes, they still can. No. It's just our attitudes and our norm get adjusted. Yep. To what happening in the real market? <laughs> no, that, that, that's true. I mean, if you look back years ago, uh, we thought things were at like the height. And now we're. I've past heard that. this song before. Yeah, I'm sure you have. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Well, thanks. That's uh, a little different perspective on the the market, um, and that's what I want. Is I want different perspectives because as soon as one person tells me they're right. I, I want to know why. So, right, yeah. right. Um, all right, so let's talk about some creative financing because you are creative. And let's talk about some of the deals that maybe either you've recently done or you can recollect that um, would be of interest to this group. Well, that's a wide open it question because really I have so many different variations to what seller financing is. Well, let's, so, let's, what's let's, your let's, Well, how about this? Let, let's break it up. Let, let's talk about as a realtor first, and then we'll talk a little bit more about as an, as an investor. investor. Okay, one of the exciting things about seller financing is so customizing. You can customize it to the to the buyer. So you have a buyer that comes to you. Number one thing they have to have is large down payment. Okay. So I don't even talk to them unless they have a large down payment. If What's a large? What's large? At least 10 to 15% down. Okay. Okay. So in a, in a market where the, the median price is $350,000, that means they've got to come with $35,000. Or more. Or more. Yep. That's right. If they've got the large down payment, then the next part isn't as tough. So now you're going to try to uh, get them into a home that they can afford. So here's where seller financing is great. They come to you and they say, I've got 35000 down. I need four bedrooms, two baths, a two-car garage. I said, okay, tell me about your income. They tell you about their income. Now you determine what kind of a house payment they're comfortable with. At that point, you can structure the seller financing contract to be interest only, a 30-year amortization, or somewhere in between. And then you structure it so that you know that at some point in the near future, they can go down to a lender and refinance that contract and get a traditional mortgage for the duration of their contract. Okay? Yep. So I've had people come to me and said, I want to buy that house. I said, that's fine with seller financing. You're going to pay more for the house because I'm going to accommodate the need for seller financing. We can get up to 10% more than appraised value with a seller financing buyer. Okay. At that point, I said, well, that's a little bit more than I wanted to pay. And I said, what does that matter? What really matters is what's your house payment? Right. And so they determined, well, I can afford maybe an $1,800 a month house payment. 
and then we determine whether that needs to be interest only or an amortized or somewhere in between and we can customize the payment. So these are people that that are are unable to qualify for a loan for right. whatever reason. So credit challenges, self-employed, had a bankruptcy Short or foreclosure. Documentation. Yeah, documentation. Documentation, absolutely. Yeah. Here on a student visa, you name it. Yeah. There's all sorts of reasons why people can't qualify for a mortgage. So th these aren't so as a realtor, and I assume that this is the uh, this is probably works in both capacities as a realtor and as an investor. You're finding the buyers before you're finding the houses. Is that no both? Okay, so so tell me. So on the seller side, okay, this is where it gets really exciting to be in part of seller financing and have these techniques down. There's a ton of people out there that are sitting on interest rates at three and a half percent. That's right or even lower, and they're ready to sell their house. And they go, man, I hate to walk away from that 3.5% interest rate. Yeah. And frankly, I think that's one of the reasons why the supply is so low, is people don't want to do the standard upgrade. They're going, well, they're why should I get, get rid of a 3.5% rate and go buy a bigger house and have to accept a 4.5% rate? And a higher price. And a higher price, right. exactly. Yep. And so they're staying put. But on the other hand, if you come to them and say, look, you've got a 3.5% rate. Your house will appraise for $300,000. I can sell that for $330,000. And I can get you a 7% rate. And that extra $30,000 is 100% tax-free because you've lived in the house two out of the last five years. And you'll be making close to 12 to 15% on your equity. So you sell the house and you still get to earn money right. on the house. Right. You can take that extra income that you're earning and still go out and buy the more expensive home, and guess what? You've got the income from the last house to offset your higher payment on, the, on your new home. So there's your opportunity to essentially move your low interest rate to your next house yeah. without actually moving the mortgage. Right. And they're saying, yeah, that sounds great. Why don't more people do this? So that's a win. And the answer is they don't know they can. Right. Yeah. Great. So yeah, there's there's sellers out there that would love to participate in this. Okay. They just don't know it's available. Yeah. So as a from a realtor standpoint, are you looking for listings that you can list with owner Absolutely. financing? Absolutely. Okay. And any person that you come across as someone that's interested in selling their house. Is that are those people that you sit down and say, hey, would you prefer to sell it for this price? You know, or would every you? single listing <laughs> uh, uh, interview I go to or presentation I go to, first thing I talk to them about is, tell me about your mortgage. Let's talk about the uh, opportunity for seller financing. Okay. And you know, one of the things they're going to ask is, well, great, Dave, you sell my house on seller financing. Now I've sold my house. Now I'm homeless. Now what about me? Right. And so we have to have a discussion about how do they get financing on their new home. So let's talk about that. So okay. how do you explain that to them and well, what are their the, options? That's the really nice thing about knowing all the various avenues of seller financing. Lease option, contract for deed, all-inclusive trustee. So it very well may be that in their case, it depends on their finances, they may want to do a two-tier seller financing contract. The first tier is they're going to sell it on a lease option. Now that they've got the lease option in place, they can take 75% of the lease and use that to
to offset their mortgage that they're leaving behind so now they can qualify for a brand new loan on their next house. Once they've closed on their next home, now they sell it on a contract for deed. They convert it. They convert it. And so those are the tricky parts, but it can totally be done and the mortgage industry is fine with it. So, and just so we can clarify, the, the real issue is the debt to income ratio yes. someone may have. Right. So if they're selling their house on a contract, that they may not get full um, income to offset their their expense on that mortgage. Well, the underwriter will count that mortgage as debt okay. unless they have a document that they can accept to offset the debt. So if you actually sell it on a contract for deed, the underwriter considers that a sale. Yeah. So they can't use that income until after you've got 12 months of history. So that doesn't help you if you're trying to get into a loan right away. Right, right. On the other hand, if you have a rental property that used to be your primary residence, you can immediately use the rental income towards the purchase of another house. So if that 75, so that just round numbers, if you were able to rent your property for $1,000 a month, you would now be getting credit for $750 right. as income. Right. And if that now allows your debt to income ratio to qualify right. for a new loan, that's right. then now you can go and get a And that's why we always want loan. the seller to sit down with the lender too. Sure. Because everybody's situation is totally different. And so it's important for a buyer to sit down with the lender it's important for a seller to sit down with a lender to make sure that whatever contract they're about to enter into is going to allow them to achieve their goals that they're for their next step. Well, and, and so I do this as well. And I can tell you not all mortgage brokers handle this the same way. No, they don't. So some may be a six month seasoning, some may be 12 months or more seasoning seasoning being that the contract has been in place for that long. Some will even allow, if, if it's right around tax time and you filed your taxes and you've shown it as a sale, that they may allow you to have that income, they may offset it all. That's exactly right. And you're looking at lenders that are following F Fannie Mae rules, Freddie Mac rules, FHA rules, You've got some lenders, I know of some uh, credit unions that have their in-house loans. Sure. They don't have to follow any of those rules. Right. And so you want to sit down with the lender that you're planning on getting your mortgage from to determine how these contracts are going to affect your next purchase. Yeah, and this person should be on your dream team because one is, is the goal is you're going to bring them a good amount of business for right. Right. not doing a whole lot. Um, That's right. And second, that you need to know the absolute answers because the last thing you want to do is tell someone, look, you'll be able to get a new house. Like right now, I'm going to buy this house from you. Right. And then now they're stuck. That's right. That's right. Okay, great. Okay, so on the realtor side, you're always looking to try to create some kind of terms. Yes. See if that would make sense. Yes. So explain to, and you kind of did earlier, but... How would you, when you're sitting down with a, a potential client that wants to sell their home and they say, well, I, I just want to know what I can sell my home for. And your response is, well. Well, and that's, it depends on how you want to sell it. Yeah. Now, what a house is worth, we've always, this is a uh, common knowledge in real estate. A house is worth what a willing buyer and a willing seller come together and agree that it's worth. Right. Except for 
if you're the buyer is getting a traditional mortgage. And then the it's appraiser. a willing buyer and a willing seller and a willing appraiser right. yep. that has to determine that. So if you can't get the appraisal to agree with your purchase price, then that transaction is not going to move forward. Yep. Okay. When you introduce the seller financing element to it, it truly is a pure willing buyer and a willing seller. So the vast majority of the time, we can get more money than appraised value for a house if they're willing to do seller financing. So there's the reason why sellers should take a hard look at this option of seller financing. So when, when you say that, that you can get more money, either more than you could get if you sold it and got cashed out, right. or even market value for the property, what does that mean? So. Um, does the house have to be in pristine condition? No, absolutely not. So t tell me a little bit more about so, that. So, and that's another reason why people sometimes look at seller financing. Maybe they have a house that backs up to Bangor Highway and it's very noisy. So a really major street. Yeah, major yep. street. There's all sorts of reasons why their particular house may be struggling to get a buyer. Yep. Okay, well that affects its value in terms of what you can sell it for. So now because of that particular, uh, handicap, you're going to get more money for it if you sell it seller financing than you would if you had to just wait for the right buyer who would accept that house. What, why is that? What, why would you? Why because would they get seller more financing money? is a rare commodity ah. and the demand for seller financing is very high. Yeah. People would much rather own than rent. If you're a renter, you can't have a puppy. You can't paint. You might have a landlord show up at the end of your lease telling you've got to relocate. Yep. People hate to rent. Yep. They would much rather buy a home. Right. And, th and most of these people are not going and doing appraisals. <coughs> they, can. they can. I've had people do an appraisal but and the appraisal comes don't. in lower. And they still say, you know what, I'm okay with that. Now yep. I know what to appraise for. But you're not strapped. It's not like, well, you have to sell it for either appraised value or a purchase price, <coughs> whichever's lower. Right. Well, and if they don't have a choice to go around the corner they and don't. buy the house that's listed, then you know, all of a sudden th that matters a whole lot that's less right. to them. That's exactly right. Okay. It's almost like hard money. It's more of the availability of the that's money. That's what it's that, all about. Yeah. How do you sell real estate? You provide the asset that somebody wants and you provide a way for them to be able to afford it and it will sell. There's, it's not rocket science. Yep. And believe me, I know I used to work for Hercules in the rocket Yeah, that's plant. true, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about, so you go into someone that's interested in selling their house as a realtor. Right. What, what is, what do you, how do you approach them as far as terms, as a realtor? Because I'm going to ask you the same question as an investor in just a second. Well, in the first place, as a realtor, now I'm representing that client. So it's my job to, to have a fiduciary duty to maximize what they can get out of the home. So the first thing I want to know is what are their goals? What are they trying to achieve by selling their house? And that's going to determine whether or not, or what marketing strategy we're going to take. Okay. Okay. Uh, but, you know, if their goal is just to sell their house and maximize their price, well, that's the way you build wealth, is to focus on building net worth. Too many people focus on what kind of cash can I get. Okay. If you're focused on building net worth, 
you're always going to do the seller financing route. Okay. okay? But the next type thing that you've got to make sure you're, you're taking into account is what is their goal for housing in the future? Right. And so that's the big question. That's why it's very important to take the step to find out if they can qualify for another home. Okay. okay? But if it's just, or if that's their plan, if that's even. their plan, yep. I have people that will come to me and they that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, they're selling a house because and it's a state sale. It was mom and dad's house. Right, has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to buy another house. Yep, and guess what? Mom and dad had a mortgage on the house. Terrific seller financing opportunity. Yeah. now it's costing them money. That's to, exactly right. Okay. Okay. Um, and I imagine that that's some of the people that you come across is that. Sometimes this debt is really handcuffing them in terms of you know having this monthly payment. They've had a health issue. They've had a job change or loss. Um, right, and you're right. There's a number of people that have find themselves in trouble, yeah. uh, and they're looking at options to be able to get out of the home or you know get out of trouble, get some cash maybe to solve some of their financial problems. So everybody's a little bit different. Sure. But that doesn't necessarily mean that seller financing still isn't an option for yeah. them. Yeah, and you, you are exactly right. I mean, we t did a previous episode where we did some owner financing with someone who has free and clear house. Uh, it was a rental for since 2002. Um, made him an offer, said yes. Then he told us he wanted to do a 1031, which I thought was going to ruin the whole thing because it's totally a doable. $400 plus thousand dollar home, but we were only giving him $21,000 down and he still took it. Well, the 1031 exchange is a little tricky. Yeah. Now for him, with only $21,000 down, he can exchange the $21,000, but the rest of it, he can't exchange it. When he sells it, that's when the IRS considers the house sold. And at that point, it's taxable. But he does have the benefit of being able to use the installment sale method to spread that tax, that tax liability over the life of the contract. All right. Okay? So that's very important. And, and we a lot of people think that, oh, well, if I do seller financing, I have a 1031 exchange option, and I can exchange all of that equity, and then when I get paid out on the contract, that's when my tax liability is. That's not true. It's the day you sell it right. on seller financing, which you have a taxable event. So is that a contract for deed, the day you Any sign type, the contract yeah, that's right. for deed? Any type of sell. Okay. Contract for deed, all-inclusive trust deed. Oh, so, okay? okay. So, it's, so not when it's not necessarily when title transfers. No. Okay. It has nothing to do with when the title transfers. Okay. So I wasn't planning on doing taxes quite yet, but we might, we're there, so we might as well. Um, so let me see if I understand correctly. So... When we, when, when we bought this property that is considered the sale for our seller, right? but he's doing a 1031, so... The only benefit to that 1031 is was 21, the cash 000. down. It's 21,000. Yeah, exactly what I so thought. So that wasn't really a good use of a 1031 yeah, exchange. I totally agree. Um, all right, so let's talk about being able to defer your tax consequence um, on a contract Okay, sale. so if I'm an investor and I've had a rental property and I've had it for a lot of years, the number one reason why people want to sell a rental property is they don't want to be a landlord anymore. Right. I'm done with that. You know, it's way too much hassle. I've rode the appreciation wagon for a while. I'm ready to sell. And then they go, oh, but I've got this tax liability that's going to come at me. 
So now, if my house is worth $250,000 appraised, that's all I can sell it for if I sell it to somebody who's going to get traditional financing. On the other hand, if I'm worried about the tax consequences, wouldn't it be nice to get an extra $25,000 out of myself from my buyer to help pay for the taxes? And that's why seller financing is so attractive to people who are investors who want to stop being landlords. They sell on seller financing, they get 10% more for their house, that helps pay the tax liability, and guess what? They continue to earn income after they've sold the house without having to be a landlord. So yeah, it's which a is huge exactly benefit. the same thing that they were doing, except exactly. without all the headaches. That's exactly right. Yep. If the water heater goes out, the buyer doesn't call them and ask them to come fix the water heater. That would be the same thing as the buyer calling Chase Mortgage right. if they got a mortgage from Chase, saying, hey, I've got this mortgage on my house. Would you fix my water heater? Chase would laugh at them. Seller financing, you're a lender. Yes. You're not the landlord. Right. Absolutely. So, as far as, so let's say that we were doing a three-year owner financing deal. And why don't we use the guy that, that we bought his house. So he's got a tax consequence. He does. No doubt. Um, the day he sold it. Yes. So what, is, what does it allow him to do for the next three years? Well, so, as he receives principal on that contract, that becomes taxable in the year that he receives the principal. Okay. At the end of the three years, if you pay him off based on your Bloom payment, then the rest of the principal he's receiving will be taxable in that year. So he's uh, instead of having one big tax bill all at once, that's right. He's able to spread it out over some time. That's right. Only that's based why I see on a, what he's getting. I see a lot of investors who have really good mortgages on their rental properties. Yeah. They'll opt for seller financing and do a thirty-year contract. Yeah. Because now they can spread the tax liability over 30 years, right? which is a huge benefit. Well, and let, let's talk about why they have such a big tax, because they've been able to depreciate right. this property over whatever course of time they've owned it. Right. So they've got this huge tax benefit, now they get to pay that tax benefit. And it's very important to talk benefit. about that, because <laughs> all of the depreciation deduction that they took, was off, they were offsetting ordinary income when they were doing that. So when they sell the property, the depreciation portion has to be recaptured and it's taxable at their current ordinary income tax rate. Where the gain, the difference between what they bought it for and what they sold it for, the gain is taxable at long-term capitalized right. rates. So there's two different rates that they have to be concerned about. And the long-term capital gains is gonna give them kind of the, the bonus for holding yeah, the property. Right. But the recapture of the depreciation right. is what's going to hurt them over that's the right. time. That's right. But so it, it helps. helps. It helps on one time, but it depends <laughs> on everybody's tax situation right. too. So maybe somebody's selling their house when they're in a low income position, and it's no big deal. Right. But most of the people that have free and clear houses. Well, free and clear yeah. houses are a little, <laughs> little different. That's, that's actually a unique situation. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so that's good because I wanted to cover this tax, but now I want to back up because I knew we'd go sideways here okay. and I'm, I'm expecting it's going to continue to happen just because you're going to say something and I'm going to say, oh, we've got to talk about that. <laughs> um, all right, so let's now talk. So you, yeah, we talked a little bit about you being a realtor going in, talking about listing the property. We talked about a little bit 
hey, you know, we've got to find out what their plan is so that we can structure something that will fit their needs. Um, before we talk to the investor side, let's talk about, so you talked about raising the price. Right. So is it, as a realtor, you're just going in and saying, look, this is what I think we can get for your house. So what would it be? Are you offering market rate interest rates? Are you offering 10% above market value? <laughs> Um, are you taking into account, I'm sure you are, the condition of the property? Sure. How do you go in and say, this is what I think we can do for you? Okay, so our real estate company actually has a couple programs that are unique. Uh, number one, when I sit down with a seller, if the house needs some fix-up and they've got equity, we offer them a home equity line to fix up the house. Okay. Okay, which is a very unique position. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we want to do, it, obviously you want to get the house in its, its best condition so you maximize the amount of money. Now, if you're going to sell it on seller financing, a seller financing buyer is going to be much more forgiving yes. of condition because there's not a lot of options out there for them. Right. So if they go to the MLS and their agent is looking for seller financing, they will look throughout the entire valley. They may only find five houses. Right. Yep. And it's hard enough to find inventory to sell. It's even more difficult to find seller financing inventory to sell. So from a seller's point of view, I can have a house that maybe needs some pro that has some problems a seller financing buyer is going to be much more forgiving. All right, guys, we're going to stop it right here. Uh, again, we're going to make this a two-part episode because we really try to make these episodes right around 30, 35 minutes, kind of a short drive or a trip to the gym. Um, so uh, forgive us for cutting this off. Uh, Please tune back in for part two of our interview with Dave Kenny. I mean, as you can tell, this guy is just such a huge wealth of knowledge when it comes to creative financing and investing in real estate. I mean, this guy has been doing it so long. I'm blown away by this. I have so much to learn from this guy. This is uh, one of Jeff's mentors, uh, if that says anything to you guys. So anyway, tune back in. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate your ear. Please pass this on. Uh, share it with your friends, family, whoever you know that's interested in real estate and uh, creative financing. Um, and if you want to reach us, you can reach us at www.thecreativefinancingpodcast.com. Again, www.thecreativefinancingpodcast.com. Thanks so much. And until next time, create some terms. Thanks for listening to the Creative Financing Podcast. We need your feedback to continue to bring you the best strategies in creative financing. So please subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We greatly appreciate your ear and please pass this on. Until next time, create some terms. This show offers general information on creative financing strategies and real estate investments. Nothing contained herein should be considered personal, legal, or financial advice. Every state has individual laws governing the use and type of documents used to execute strategies discussed herein. You should consult with a local licensed real estate broker and attorney before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed, and opinions of the guests are their own. Profits are not guaranteed, and there's always inherent risk in real estate investing.